It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And my name is Don Crawford Jr., the owner of KWM Radio and co-host of this estate planning essentials program, rightfully seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my co-host and my friend and my attorney, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. We were talking. We're getting ready for football season. And you made the remark a few minutes ago, which made me think of college football and the great Lee Corso, which I think we've mentioned before, who loves to use that phrase, not so fast, my friend. And this is what you said to me, uh, maybe subconsciously, quoting Lee Corso, indicating that people assume many things when it comes to estate planning. And... You mentioned to me you wanted to talk today about powers of attorneys and assumptions people make when it comes to those. Well, in particular, uh, we were I was going to talk about a medical power of attorney because there was a question at my August workshop that somebody asked, well, my loved one was at a hospital, and they said that we couldn't make a medical decision for them because they did not have a medical power of attorney. And I said, oh, contraire, Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a way, uh, there is a Consent to Medical Treatment Act whereby surrogates can act, and there's a pecking order, which we'll go over in just a minute, to make medical decisions for you if you have lack capacity uh, or you're comatose and things like that. Uh, First, I probably should explain, maybe we'll talk about financial powers attorney too, but really I thought I would focus on the uh, Consent to Medical Treatment Act and how in certain situations, if you don't have a medical power attorney and you don't have capacity, no problem, so to speak. So let's kind of go a little bit more uh, detail. First of all, what's a medical power of attorney? A medical power of attorney is somebody who makes medical decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. Who would you choose to make the medical decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself? By the way, they're called different things in different states. Some states call them health care proxies, like uh, I think like New York. Some states call it durable power of attorney for health care, which, which is what um, Texas used to call it until, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, medical in Texas, there's actually statutory language. In other words, the state legislature has approved certain language for a medical power of attorney. So anybody could get a form, in this case, medical power of attorney. Now, we add extra language in our medical powers of attorney. Uh, but really, the you're supposed to use what the form of the state is, actually. Why do you use extra language? 
Oh, because I want to cover more things. So, for example, uh, we say the right to have the agent make decisions on where you live Mm. or the right to not only hire and fire health care personnel, the right to make advanced funeral arrangements, the right to make bodily gifts, the right to do not resuscitate. Even though people have a living will, a living will is a directive to physicians. So I like to add, I quite frankly add pages and pages of extra things because I've never had a problem. But technically, you're supposed to use the statutory language. So I start off with a statutory mm-hmm. language, and then I throw in a lot of extra stuff to give more uh, possibility, more flexibility. Now, it may not make a difference. Like, you know, you talk about having uh, anatomical gift not anatomical gifts, but making the right decision to whether somebody's resuscitated or not mm-hmm. to... to um, uh, on things like you would normally have in a directive to physicians. Is that donate organs as well? That this yeah, yeah, anatomical okay. gifts is okay. a, by, uh, organs and as well as – but some people have se- separate forms for that. Um, but, you know, on the right to live or die or to withhold treatment, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times people have that in a separate document, a directive to physicians. But I don't know if even the doctors will listen. It reminds me of the story – they about you know there's lawyer doctors have lawyers jokes well i'm going to tell a doctor joke oh, if no. i could okay oh, all right so this is about the doctor who dies and goes to heaven he had his uh, stethoscope around his neck and his doctor's bag and uh, he goes to saint peter at the pearly gates and he said saint peter let me in and St. Peter says, well, doctor, there's a line right over here. Uh, you'll just have to you know, go the back of the line like everybody else. So the doctor goes the back of the line. Doctor uh, sees this other guy, also with his stethoscope and his doctor's bag, and St. Peter lets him right in. The doctor goes from the back of the line and goes to St. Peter and says, why did you let that guy in and he didn't let me in? He said, oh, that's just God playing doctor again. <laughs> So I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure <laughs> if it'll make any difference, no matter what you have, right. because a God may—I mean, a doctor may want to play God. Yes. But the the bottom line is, you should have these things to at least give some direction, if they do listen to you. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, getting back to medical powers attorney, uh, most people—I mean, it's a, something that everybody really should have. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes people don't plan. Right. And so in this case, she, the, the lady at the workshop was having a problem because they would not make a medical decision for them. Mm-hmm. They would her let her make a medical decision. So I said, well, there's this law. It's called the Consent to Medical Treatment Act. And so if a person is in a hospital, if there's an adult patient in a hospital, a nursing home, or a home, uh, or community a support agency, or even a person in jail, and they're comatose or incapacitated or otherwise mentally or physically unable of communication, then there could be an adult surrogate to act on your behalf, who has, as long as they have decision-making capabilities themselves, and they're willing to consent to the medical treatment on behalf of the patient. So the priority list is, first, the patient's spouse if they're married. Okay. okay, well, that makes sense. Sure. 
The second one is the adult child. If there's more than one there's more than one child. If somebody, if the majority of the children choose one to act, or the others waive their right, okay, the spokesman child could act. The next option is the majority of the adult children. So if they can't agree, and there's five children, three of them uh, could act. Then it's the patient's parents. And then if somebody, if the patient before they've had, let's say, surgery or something like that, or, or they're in a hospital, if they said, oh, I would like to have so-and-so make decisions for me, then the hospital or doctor could look at that. Uh, or um, the, patient's, the patient's nearest living, living relative or even a member of the clergy. So that's the pecking order. So you might say, well, gee, well, that sounds pretty consistent with what I would like, but that may not be the case, and it's not always the case. And there's also a few other issues. Uh, oh, well, there, first of all, you can't even um, consent to voluntary inpatient mental health services or electroconvulsive treatment or even appointment of another surrogate decision maker, but really you can't do that in a medical power of attorney either. The doctor also has to uh, describe the lack of capacity to whoever that surrogate's going to be. And um, they have to show the proposed treatment before, the, before they could do whatever that treatment may be to the surrogate before they could do it. So it takes a little bit more of a work. So you might say, gee, um, okay, well, what's wrong with that? Um, uh, you know, I would have had my spouse— but one second here. What if you're estranged from your spouse? Mm. Is that who you really want? What happens if whatever that's that not the order you want? Let's say you're let's say you're engaged. Maybe you've been dating somebody for ten years, and you have elderly parents. You might even be estranged from your mother or your father. Who would you rather have? Would you want that person that you've been dating for a long time, or maybe even engaged? Or would you want the elderly parent who uh, is getting kind of up there in years, and maybe they were, would want, maybe they have good decisions, but maybe you're estranged from that parent? That happens. So is that what you want? So if you, remember, if you don't take action, the, the state has laws, and they tell you, just like we had here in the surrogates. What if you have a, and so what if you think that uh, somebody would, how do we know that that one who's next would make the decisions that you would make? You know, from time to time you say, um, I have people tell me, oh, I don't want my spouse. They'll never make the decision. They won't, you know, pull the plug or do this or do that or do what I would want because they're, it's too sentimental or whatever. They're too emotional. Now, of course, in my case, I always say, well, you know, if uh, if I had a hangnail, I think my wife said, well, I don't think we could keep him alive on that one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the bottom line is sometimes uh, we see that even with a spouse uh, that, you know, they're really not the one to be making decisions for yeah. you. Or perhaps if, let's say, uh, I have a 24-year-old child. Maybe 
Maybe they maybe. could, but they're, it's kind of young, and mm-hmm. would they do things? Uh, maybe they want to keep you alive, mm-hmm. and maybe you shouldn't be kept alive, or maybe or have the surgery or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily life or death, because usually the living will. Remember, so what's the difference between a living will or a directive to physicians and a medical power of attorney? Medical power of attorney doesn't mean necessarily life and death. Living will is if uh, directive to physicians if you're going to pass within six months, even with medical assistance, do you use any heroic measures? Or if you're in a persistent vegetative state, do you want to be kept alive artificially? Whereas on a medical power of attorney, it's just any kind of medical decision. Doesn't mean it necessarily is life and death. I, you know, you're out of it. Do we do the surgery? Do we do natural things? Do we do this or that? You know, that type of thing. So it's a little bit different. Although under Texas law, you can combine a medical power of attorney and a living will directive to physicians. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, although I recommend, by the way, do both, Mm -hmm. even though on my medical power of attorney, uh, I throw in so much of the stuff that you would have in a living will. That's smart. Uh, So... Um, you know, it's just the the problem. Maybe you want to have more than one person. Maybe you want to say, I want two people to be con- conversed mm-hmm. to make the decision. Well, this just doesn't give you that authority. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm not recommending that because a lot of times people, what if people don't agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people want to have, oh, I can't make a choice between my kids. I don't want them to feel slighted. But the reality is that's not good because it's it could in. It, it, there could be disagreement, um, and it could be a which it could be a bad situation. And sometimes, you, you know, even with medical powers attorney, we I remember it just came, comes to mind a terrible story where um, a husband and wife came to me and they uh, they said, you know what, we believe in a, a quality of life, not a quantity of life, mm-hmm. and we want to make a strong. A document as possible so that we're not kept alive artificially mm-hmm. if we don't want to be in pain, etc. And so we drafted it and had this. There was four sons, and they had a pecking order, and they put it in the order of birth because they couldn't make up their mind. That's not, by the way, the generally the way you should do it. You should do it. Who your answer should always be: Who do you trust to make the decisions that you would make? if you can make them for yourself. Well, anyway, in this case, terrible story. The um, uh, Six months later, the wife had some sort of, I think it was some sort of bad cancer, mm-hmm. whatever. She was, it was going to be very, 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 very painful. Um, and the chances of uh, surviving were not great. And, uh, you know, the, the husband, although he was named as the agent, thought it would be a good idea to have a meeting with the family, and generally that is a good idea. But then uh, when he met with the family, he was surprised that the children, and particularly the eldest son, uh, who was being influenced by his wife, who thought, well, you should always try to stay alive no matter what. But that wasn't her wishes. They weren't listening to what she wanted. And it was really uh, disappointing to the husband. Of course, the first thing he did was after that meeting was change the pecking order uh, so that that, uh, the eldest son would not be a decision maker. However, after that meeting and after she died, the husband was so distraught that the fact that the family wouldn't go by the decisions that he would make that he knew that she wanted to make that – 
Unfortunately, he drove himself off a cliff on purpose, oh. uh, committed suicide Goodness. to uh, because he wouldn't think that they wouldn't honor his decisions. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's a terrible thing. That is terrible. But the and welcome to my world. Yeah. The there's only bad things, unfortunately, and yeah. so um, you should choose somebody who would make the decisions that you would make mm-hmm. if you couldn't make them for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you probably should communicate what it is that you know. A lot of times, even like in a living will, you show all we put it on all these extra things, artificial hydration, nutrition, blood transfusions, antibiotics, dialysis, CPR, the list goes on. And we give a whole laundry list, uh, and you choose what you want to have done or not to be Mm -hmm. done. And you probably should talk about it with your family and tell them what your wishes may or may not be. So, But unfortunately, a lot of times people don't want to talk about death, and I'm sorry uh, that we have to talk about that when you're talking about estate planning, even if it's a simple document as a medical power of attorney, or if you lack one, you have to at least know what the options are. I had I have two daughters, and when they turned 18, I had them sign medical powers of attorney because they're right. adults. Right. And so I, we think it's a standard document that everybody should have. Mm-hmm. Everybody really should have. Some people say, oh, I don't care. Well, what are you going to do? You're leaving it, um, well, you're just leaving it to the law. Right. And really... You should make your own decisions as to what you want. Um, there are other, by the way, other decisions on other documents that are uh, not exactly the same but have some relations uh, to some of those things. Like, for example, if you want a cremation, um, if we in, in our medical power of attorney, we say, okay, you can make advanced funeral arrangements including cremation, and depending upon, of course, if that's what somebody may or may not want. A lot of times in different religions, you don't want cremation. It's against law. But that medical, that that uh, would not fly after death because powers of attorney terminate on death. So the you could, if you're going to do uh, you would do a disposition of bodily remains. So you could chose a, choose a pecking order as to who would make the decisions if you could not, as far as who's in charge of your body, and you would even put down cremation in a, a separate document called disposition of bodily remains, and you name your order. So uh, I know we had a, as an example, if you had a funeral home and there was children from different relationships, they have to get, if it's cremation, they're going to, the funeral home's going to say, well, do you have this document? Because we have to get everybody's approval mm. before you could do it. So uh, that's a different document. And also another document, by the way, not to, we talked about a living will, uh, another document, let's say you're at home. Does the living will work at home? No, there's an out-of-hospital DNR. So if you put something on your refrigerator door and your heart has stopped beating, this tells the paramedics that they don't have to resuscitate you. Some people want that. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. Mostly if you're more elderly, Mm -hmm. they're more likely to have that document, or especially if they have some health issues, then that may be something that is considered uh, in addition to to the— directive to physicians and the medical power of attorney. So each one of these documents are different. You know, it's interesting because you talk about whom do you choose? And in other words, whom do you trust That's right. to make those kind of decisions for you? Sarah's son, who's my stepson, he's moving from Houston in a few months, just had his new baby born a week ago named Lazarus. So we're very excited about that. He's visiting this weekend and he's going to 
buy a home up here and we're going to help him. And he's got a lender. And the lender wrote to me with some updates because I was questioning interest rates, which are brutal these days compared to what they were even six months ago. And the lender spilled his guts about what was going on with him down in Houston, even though he's up here. Ironically, he's in Houston. And he's got brothers who were uh, full sons of um, the deceased. And he's the stepson, but he is the executor of the will. Uh He's the PR. He's running everything, basically. Personal representative, yeah. Right, right. right. Thank you. And so... He's the stepson, so you think, well, that's interesting, and it's it's a mess. He said, you can't imagine, I'm, I'm not going down that rabbit hole is what he put in his email last night, but it's hard because this is whom this man chose, this stepson, and I have no children. Bruce is my stepson, and Sarah's in control of everything if I were to die um, or become disabled, but if I if she dies, then what do I do? Bruce is technically or officially my stepson, and I think I can trust him uh, as much as I possibly can, but you'll always have that question in doubt. Yeah, I think you always have to choose who you trust. And it doesn't have to be a relative. Right. A lot of people choose relatives, mm-hmm. but it could be your best friend in San Diego, even though he may not be close. Right. I mean, nowadays there's communication. I mean, a lot of times you would rather have somebody that's right here. Right. However, <clears throat> now with communication being so uh easy now immediate (laughs) yeah so like even in our medical powers of attorney you know in the medical power of attorney they put down name address phone number we even add email address Mm -hmm. uh although i don't know that i don't know if anybody's ever used that and i don't know if doctors could use it because of privacy laws Mm -hmm. but the um which is another thing you should have which is a hipaa a universal one uh the um you know the reason why i was thinking as well as time changes People want to be able. To, you're not going. A doctor's not going to write a letter <laughs> to the address, and that's in the statutory statutory form. If you're not there, they're going to at least call you. And I was trying to give an. I tried to give an option if they would mm-hmm. to text uh, uh, or email. Uh, so you know. So I try to give that information to have more ways to communicate. So it might be that somebody doesn't even necessarily have to be right here. Uh, and it, so you really, the answer shouldn't be just because they're a relative. The answer should be, who do you trust? Just like you said. Yeah. Just like in any, in any type of relationship, whether it's a finance, and on as far as the legal documents, who do you trust to be the agent on your financial decisions? Who do you trust on the medical decisions? Who do you trust to gather up the assets and pay the debts, if it's which is the executor? Or who do you trust to be a trustee? Or who do you trust, you know, whatever the fiduciary uh, relationship is, and it could be different. You know, I, t- I talked to this last workshop about uh, guardianship and I said oh man I can't decide I have we have this is when our kids were younger I said should we these particular cousins actually would be a better parent and this cousin uh, it would be better financially uh, so we have one we had at, at the time uh, a who would be guardian of the person who would take care of our children if they were younger and somebody different who would take care of the financial, the assets, who was better with money. But normally they have the same people uh, when you have that in your will or trust. But in our case, we had different because it's who did we trust to be the better parent? Who did we trust to be the better 
person dealing with assets mm-hmm. and finances. And so the answers were different. And so yeah, just like this on the medical power of attorney, who do we trust? And so you could have, uh, even if you, um, the moral of the story is, even though you don't have a, a medical power of attorney and even though the state has a pecking order for you, uh, if you are in a hospital, of course, if you weren't in a hospital or nursing home, et cetera, uh, then this wouldn't even be applicable. So it's really, um, it's best to have the medical power of attorney, even though there is this stopgap consent to medical treatment act in certain situations. So really it's best to plan on anything Mm -hmm. and you make your own decisions as who do you trust. Exactly. And that's what it comes down to. Um, I've known Michael for almost 10 years now. I knew early on he was special. I didn't know he would become such a dear friend. Um, and I, I would open up my entire life to him, basically, personally and professionally, but it was worth it, and I can trust him completely. And I think you should at least consider him. I'm not endorsing him. I am for me. But for you, you should at least consider him. And the best way to do that is to attend his next workshop and hear for yourself and see for yourself how intelligent, insightful, and exceptional he is. And that next Estate Planning Essentials Workshop is Saturday, September the 17th at 10 o'clock. And Michael, tell them all about the workshops. Well, we ask people what they want to know, and we write down their questions, and we answer those questions at this free workshop for two hours. So we say, oh, what do you want to know? And so you never know what questions that people are going to ask. Sometimes uh, it's rare that we've ever – this is the first time on this – uh, a workshop that somebody said something about a medical power of attorney and they couldn't make the decision. And we've been doing these workshops for almost 10 years. And first time that, that, that this question's even been asked. And so that's why uh, a lot of times, well, I love these workshops because you never know what people are going right. to ask. And then you learn, or the other people learn, some of the questions that, well, they wouldn't know about. Right. And they could... Um, maybe use it for their own selves, mm-hmm. whether they have their own planning documents or not, at least they, you could learn something. And it's no no obligation. Mm-hmm. You're, a lot of times it's on estate planning. A lot of times it's on Medicaid. Uh, as we age, a lot of times um, most people do not have long-term care insurance. At this last workshop, I asked how many people had long-term care insurance. Only one person raised their hand. In fact, when I even spoke to a few weeks ago, I spoke to the uh, Texas Society of CPAs, professionals, and there was you know, a lot of people there, maybe oh, 15% at the most uh, had long-term care insurance. Wow. Uh, so as a result, a lot of times people say, well, how am I going to pay for cost of care? People are living longer. You know, uh, my own wife's grandmother lived 107 and a half. I had an aunt, unfortunately, just died. She's been married. Um, uh, they had been married. If they had, if she had lasted till January, uh, she and my uncle would have been married for 80 years. Goodness. 80 years. That's, That's longer than most people's life expectancy. Wow. So people are living longer. Mm-hmm. And the longer we live, the more likelihood of disability. So anyway, we ask people, and so, so a lot of times people ask about long-term care, Medicaid, mm-hmm. uh, or any type of estate planning, or it could be about probate. So we never know what people want to know about. Mm-hmm. So uh, we ask them what they want to know, and then uh, if they, they, 
and hopefully they learn something that two hours and it flies by. Uh, it's free. It's without obligation. And if you do go to the workshop, you also have one other bonus, and that is a free vision meeting where we look at your own situation. If you would like, it's no obligation again. So that's three free hours of legal education without obligation. To go to that workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. It's free. I hope you see you there. Uh, and um, I think you'll enjoy it. Our Dallas elder lawyer attorney, Michael Cohen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blows and did it A leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.